Thank you so much. I want you to take your Bible and locate the first gospel, Matthew chapter 27, if you would. Uh, We've been living there for a while. I want to visit again, Matthew chapter 27. Also, if you'd like to uh, turn to Acts chapter 2 and those places, Matthew 27 and Acts chapter 2. Music is such an important part of our lives, not just a church service, but our lives. I hope you listen to some good good Christian music. It helps you uh, not only to edify your spirit, but also to grow and to disciple you. Early in my teenage years, one of the means of my discipleship was listening to good, good wholesome Christian music. I know that will do that for your spirit. Matthew 27, we'll read the text in just a moment. One of the sad tragedies uh, in our lives as Christians is our tendency to drift. I know that you have seen this in the lives of other people, and if you're honest, you've seen it in your life. That someone will come to Christ and they'll walk with God, and then after a a season, they will begin to, to drift, maybe not in their behaviors, but in their enthusiasm for the Lord, and uh, things will cool off, and externally they go on, but their their spirit is not hot in pursuing after God. And one of the sad things about this is this declension is not just contained, the consequences of it is not just contained to them. It impacts their friends, their witness to lost people, but it also impacts impacts their family, particularly their children. Now, the key to overcoming this this spiritual malaise is to ponder the cross of Jesus, to ponder the work of Jesus and what He has done for us. Because the cross, listen carefully, the cross is not just what saves you from the penalty of sin, but the cross is what keeps you The work of Jesus not only saves you from hell, but the cross keeps you, the cross sustains you, and the cross is the source of your joy. What Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross. And there are certain themes. I've been saved for a long time, since 1968. And so you learn certain things that help buoy your spirit and help keep you warm in your heart. And there are certain themes that I've discovered that help to keep me close to God, especially in these seasons when I can begin to know that my my heart is drifting. I wrote two of them down. One is the, the depth of the love of God and the mystery of it. You know, worship is not worship if you can figure everything out. One of the reasons we worship God is we, can, we can't figure Him out. Uh, as my uh, sister was resting on the couch the other day, I, I didn't tell her I wanted to, but I, I didn't tell her my heart was so full with some things. But I thought about Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, which says, it talks about the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And I think we believe sometimes, I know we do, I, I, I'm like this, where we think, well, I, I would have peace if I knew, if I knew what was going to happen. I'd have peace if I knew where the resources were going to come from. I would have peace if filling the blank. I would have peace if I, if I knew whatever. But the Bible says that the peace of God passes all understanding. You see, you don't need to figure something out when, when your resource is God. You're never going to figure Him out. God is too big to be contained in the building. He's too big for your brain. So one of the things that warms my heart is, is the depth and the width and, and the breadth of the love of God and the wonder of it, the mystery of it. I'm good with that. You know, sometimes you talk to skeptics and they have questions and and they want to know, well, well, about this question about God, where, where did, and, and the Bible, where, where did Cain get his wife? And 
Where did this happen? And so they have these questions. Well, the Bible has answers, and, and even the ones that I can't answer, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Once I, If I can explain God, He's not God. You know, some people will say, well, well, that's just your excuse. Oh, no, it's not. That's my God. don't need to figure that out. That warms my heart. Another thing that, that helps me stay close to God, now listen to the way I say this, it's the effects, the byproducts of the work of the cross and the thoroughness of it. It's what Jesus, not just the fact that he died for me and the physical and emotional trauma that he went through, but what he accomplished for me when he suffered on the cross. When I begin to study the Bible and I begin to learn the Bible and I know what he did for me, man, it, it just warms my heart. And as a student of the Bible, the more I grow and, and understand the Bible, you know, the Word of God and the God of the Word wrote the Word of God. And I, I see new things and I learn new things. And I say, God, you did that for me and you gave that to me as an inheritance and it causes me to wonder. It causes me to, to draw nigh to Him. So if you're here today, and you, you, to be honest, you say, Preacher, I, I'm not as close to God as I used to be. Well, you're in good company. I, I think it was H.A. Iron said, said, if there was a time, there was ever a time when you were closer to Jesus than you are today, then you're backslidden. All of us have been backslidden. There's been times we've been closer to God than we were. Say, so, well, preacher, how do you fix that? Do I walk down the aisle and kneel? Well, sometimes that can help in, a, in an act of contrition and repentance. But, but I'll tell you, the bigger part on a sustained basis is just to ponder the cross and the work of Jesus and, and who He is. I remember when I was a... A teenager, I came across a song by Rusty Goodman, who sang with the, uh, the Happy Goodman family years ago. He was born in Coleman, Alabama. Rusty died a premature death. He was 56 years old. He got cancer and he battled it. And Rusty was a tremendous songwriter. He was one of the best songwriters of his era and uh, wrote so many good songs. And when, when I heard this song, I didn't know he wrote it, and I won't go into all the details, but when he presented the song to his family and, and their response to it, but I remember the first time I heard the song, the effect it had upon my spirit, even as a teenager, and since then it's always been one of my favorite songs. And I love the tune, I love the melody and, and the simple harmonies and, and chord structures, but I tell you, I love the lyrics. And once I begin this, some of you that uh, have been around gospel music, you know this song. But if you know it, listen to the words again. And some of you that have never heard it, listen to this. Listen to these words. Rusty penned these words. Listen to this. Speaking of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I think of how He came so far from glory came and dwelt among the lowly, such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace on Mount Calvary to take my place. Then I ask myself this question, who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will, but thine for the answer I may never know why he ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he'd go for who am I? And I'll be honest with you, I don't think we will ever know the answer. I think that's one of those those issues that, that is mysterious, the 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 deep, the the, the broad the width of the love of God. Why in the world would God come down to this planet to rescue hell-bound sinners that had blasphemed His name? Why would He do that? 
I was reading this week in the book of in the book of Second Chronicles, and it's recorded for us in Second Samuel two when when David realized that God had chosen him to be the king, and it settled in on him, and he went in and he sat down in his bed, and he realized that his his seed was going to be the seed by which the the Messiah was going to come. And he went down and he sat down on his bed and he said, who am I? Who am I? And li- listen, this is the pondering. Can I say this? And I want you to understand this. I'm not talking about just intellectual stimulation. I think we're not close to God because we're not a thinking people. We're just a doing people. And we ought to serve God, but you're not going to serve God long if you don't think about Him. And your heart doesn't pursue Him. God, who am I? You look in your text in Matthew chapter 27 and look at verse 45 if you would. Another one of the seven sayings of Jesus. This is around noon as you'll see. Now from the sixth hour, and I've taught you the Jews begin to count the day at 6 a.m., so Jesus was on the cross at the ninth hour, which um, which would have been uh, at 9 o'clock in the morning, or the third hour at 9 a.m. The sixth hour is noon. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So from 12 to 3, he was on the, clock, on the cross from 9 to 3. But from 12 to 3, during the brightest and Hottest parts of the day. It's hot in Israel. It's humid over there. It was dark as midnight. And about the ninth hour, right at midnight, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Now this is Aramaic. This was the language of the people. The leaders and the religious uh, academic people, they spoke in Hebrew. The common people spoke in Aramaic. He cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou, and here's the word, forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? This morning I was reading this again and I looked at the word why. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you should never ask God why. Well, Jesus did. And he knew why he was there. He knew why he was there. The pain, the suffering was so great. He said, why? I think that's why he said that I can identify with you and be your sympathetic high priest. Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this may call it for Elias or Elijah, if you will. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And the rest of the people that is, let be, let us see, and they're mocking here, see whether Elias will come to save him. So here's here's this mystery, the mystery of darkness, the mystery of being forsaken. And and in in this time of mystery... God did His greatest work for us. He did His best work for us. And we get enough insight to to bring us to Christ and to draw us to Him, but there's enough mystery to cause us to worship Him. And I think, you know, in heaven, when we go to heaven, we won't fully understand these things. We may understand a little bit more, but you'll see as we get into this message there's going to be plenty for us to explore and still say, oh, God, we, you're so great. You're so kind. I think the ladies today talked about the goodness of God. You're, you're so good to us, to bad people. There are several wonders here at Calvary, and we've been speaking about the wonder of separation, of being forsaken. When God the Father forsook His Son as Jesus hung on the cross between heaven and earth and and bore our sins, He did not become a sinner, 
But he did become sin. He was the son of God. He had never sinned. He was purity incarnate. And he became my substitute. And the father turned his back upon him, as it were, pulled the shades of heaven. And it became dark. And he forsook his son. In the old time in the Bible, when Jesus called him God, he always called him Father. But he said, my God, my God. Some have said the reason it's mentioned twice is he was saying, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The presence of his Father, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that, that they, they were forsaken him. There was never a time when the Father and the Son and the Spirit, one God manifest in three persons, did not exist But there was a break in their fellowship. They were still in unity. But there was a break in their fellowship. And they were forsaken the Son. Now, there are even books written about this where some people believe, this is blasphemy by the way, that God the Father is like a bully. That the God of the Old Testament is like a bully. The Father is a bully and Jesus is kind of the good guy coming in to save the day. That God is rough and he's mean, the father, and Jesus is kind and gentle. But the Bible teaches, he doesn't teach that the father is angry and he's stern. The Bible teaches that God the father loves you. And the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and the Holy Spirit of God, they love you and even... When the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 52 and Isaiah chapter 53 that the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus offered. And it pleased the Father to bruise him. It doesn't mean that he was clapping in delight. It means that he was satisfied that that the law, that that the righteous demands of the law were satisfied. Not that his son was suffering there on the cross. And a few weeks ago when I was preaching this, I explained to you the doctrine of propitiation, of satisfaction, of payment, of atonement. That there had to be, it's a legal term, propitiation. It's, it's a, they use in courts, expiation. There had to be a payment made. Because wherever there is sin, there must be payment. And Jesus Christ was my, was my sin bearer. He, he made the payment for my sin that I could not pay, that I, that I owed. And we looked at a bunch of references where the Bible said that the Father, listen carefully, that the Father sent His Son. The Father sent the Son. Let me just give you one here. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, 1 John 4, 9, and and this was manifested, and watch this, the love of God toward us. What does the love of God look like? How is it shown? How is it manifested? That God sent the love of God, God sent His only begotten Son into the world. That, the purpose clause, in order that we might live through Christ. Because we were dying, we were in spiritual death. And without the death of Jesus, death would not be conquered. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no resurrection without a death. He had to die. He had to be my sin bearer. And His resurrection was the approval from the Father that the payment was accepted. And this was manifested, the love of God, the love of the Father. He loves you this morning. The Son loves you. That God sent His only begotten Son into the world. That we might live through Him. Do you have spiritual life? Verse 10, herein is love. He restates it another way. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And here it is again. The Father loves you and He sent His Son. And here's the purpose. That the Lord Jesus would be the propitiation for our sins. The satisfaction, the, the, the payment, the covering for our sins. You know, there, there is a mystery about, about the Father's love, about 
the depth of it. We almost sang that song this morning, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. It's a mystery. You need to get in the deep end of it every now and think about it and and put your phones down and and, and stop and and get in the Bible and, and, and think about how much God has loved you. Now, when, I want to ask you a question. When did the Father begin to love you? At what point did the Father know These people have sinned. We, we need to establish a propitiatory sacrifice for them. At what point did the Father know that the human race is in trouble? Well, certainly it was in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, when he told them in Genesis 3.15, the first mention of the gospel. But it was even before then. And I'm going to show you some scriptures here that that are mysterious scriptures. They're heavy. When I say they're heavy, that doesn't mean bad. It just means they're they're too much for your mind to explain. You can exegete them. You can study them. But they're weighty. But they bring great joy to my heart because my father, my father loves me. He loves me more then I love him and he loves me more than I can comprehend. When Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost in his sermon, you have your Bible in Acts 2 there. I ask you to turn there. He included this in his sermon in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. He says about the Lord Jesus, he uses a personal pronoun, him, that is Jesus. Look at this, Acts 2, 23. Jesus, him... Being delivered, the word delivered means to surrender to an enemy. He gave him up to the other side. Who delivered him? By the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, he's talking to this crowd just a couple of months after Easter, Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice, look at the text. He was delivered by the foreknowledge of God. And look at this, by the determinate counsel. What is the determinate counsel? It's two words. Of course, we get the word determined from determinate Here's what it means. The word determinate means to make a boundary, a very clear marker. And it it has this idea, to determine a boundary. It is a plan. A determinate, a determined boundary, a plan, to sketch out a plan. The word counsel there means advice that results in a purpose. So, What he's saying here, delivered by the determinate counsel, it is a counsel which includes more than one person that results in a determination. So who was in this determinate counsel? Well, it was the foreknowledge of God. I'll tell you who it was. It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they delivered the Lord Jesus Christ. They surrendered Him to people that had wicked hands, that is us. And we crucified him and we slew him. And do you know who was involved in the determinate council? Jesus was not a victim. He was in on the plan. And the Father was there and the Holy Spirit was there. And each of them, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, one God... Manifest in three spirits, not manifest in three persons. I know some of you are saying, well, I need you to stop there and explain that. Well, we could talk about the Trinity. I'm not going to do it now. But even if I did talk about it, you're going to be unsatisfied because I can't explain it. I know people that reject God because they can't understand everything about, about God. And yet those same people use Things every day they cannot fully understand. And in that sense, there's hypocrisy and they can say, well, I can find that out. 
And, and they probably can to some degree. But God is so great. He's so big. And, and the Father sent the Son. And, and it came about in this determinate counsel. Move your hand over a few pages. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples were in trouble a few days later. And uh, they're in a prayer meeting because they're being persecuted there in the early church. And so they're praying. I want you to notice the content of their prayer in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27. For of a truth, thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. Watch this. You know they all had a hand in the crucifixion. For to do whatsoever, they're praying, they're praying to God. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel, we've already seen that word in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. This is the, the counsel, the plan that was drawn up, the advice of the three, one God manifest in three persons. Thy counsel determined, we've already seen the word determinate, it's the same expression the determinate counsel, that counsel determined before to be done. This was ahead of time. Calvary was no accident. It wasn't a byproduct. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. People didn't kill Jesus. He was crucified because the Father sent him to be the Savior of the world. And when the Bible says that that there was darkness and God forsook him. Listen, God, the word darkness there, it was cause. It was a miracle. God did all of these things. He did these things to save you, to redeem you. And I know some of you have been saved a long time and you're saying, well, I didn't know these things. That's okay. That's part of the reason you go to church and you read your Bible to learn these things. Not so you can debate but to warm your heart. My kids wait tables and they used to tell me sometimes people will come in there and they'll get large tables and spread their Bibles out and, and their voices will begin to raise and they begin to debate about the Bible. And these other people, not just the waiters, but other people would look over them with the Bibles open and look at them debating with one another. I want you to understand something. That's not a good testimony. Now, there's a place to disagree and there's a place. But even then, even then there's a way to do that. It's like the loudest voice wins. God didn't give you truth so you could win the argument. The devil knows more truth than you do. He just doesn't live it. You see, God God has given you truth to warm your heart and draw you to Christ. That's why you need to ponder these things and examine your heart. Let me give you another scripture here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, things that die and get old and rotten, as silver and gold, that is money, you're not redeemed from your vain conversation, your vain lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers. He's speaking there about religion, the Jewish religion. You're not saved by money. You can't be purchased. You're not saved by religion. But with the precious, I like that modifier, precious. There's only one blood of Christ. With the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now pay attention to this. Remember the four, the, the council and, and, and the, that was foreordained when they planned when the Father would send the Son, the Father, Son, the Spirit met. Now watch this. The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained. Now look at this. Before the foundation of of the world but was manifest in these last days for you 
When, when, did, when did God get it in his mind to redeem fallen people? Well, I know it was when Adam sinned. Well, no, that's not right. It was before the foundation of the world. It was before the world was created. It was before people were created. God in His omnipotence, in His omniscience, in His foreknowledge, He knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. God did not create robots. He gave them a will to choose. And He knew they were going to sin. And he, he could have obliterated the race and created another race, but they would have done the same thing if he wanted people that were going to love them because love always has a choice. And this is when the council happened. The Bible says in First Peter there, it was foreordained before the foundation of the world that the Father, get this, that the Father was going to send the Son and the Holy Spirit would call the bride. And the Son would become the sacrifice for our sins. Some of you know Kevin Thomas, my, my friend, and we have sung a lot of songs together. Well, he's done the singing, I've done the playing. We've done a lot of concerts and songs together. And I remember in 1981 when he came to the church I was at up in Virginia. And he gave me a song. He said, I, I want to sing this tonight. And I'd never seen the song. And it, of all things, it's another song that Rusty Goodman wrote. Rusty Goodman wrote, Who Am I? And Kevin gave me this song. And, and as I went over the words, and Kevin sang and I said, Kevin, I really like this song. And it's a song called Small Lonely Hill. Now, I tell you, next time he's, he comes, I'm going to get him to sing it here. He, he's hardly ever done it before. I've tried to pry it out of him before. But I found the words. I want to read the words to you because I, I want to visit something that, that maybe we don't think of. This is the depth and the breadth and the, and the width and, and the height of the love of God. I, I, my mind cannot contain this. Small Lonely Hill. Here's what Rusty wrote. In the beginning, God stood in the stillness and spoke his creative words. Let there be light and let the heavens appear. Then with his mighty hand, he scooped up the canyons and with his fingers traced the courses for the rivers. Made the mountains stand tall and still. But then a slight trace of sadness came into his eyes as he made a small, lonely hill. Then God said, let us make man into our own image and give him dominion over all. We will walk together in the cool of the evening and I'll help him if he should fall. But I want him to love me because he really wants to. To walk with me by his own will. And then a slight trace of sadness came back into his eyes. As he looked towards that small lonely hill. Then late one evening. God came to the garden. He said Adam. Where are you? The birds had hushed their singing. In the garden there was silence. You could sense that something had died. Then God said, I love them and I won't let them go. Then a shadow on that hillside appeared. For a man hung there dying, crying, I thirst. And God turned his face toward that small, lonely hill. Now I thank God for his rivers and I thank him for his mountains. And his heavens, how my heart always will. But when I walk into that city where the saved will all praise him, I thank him for that small, lonely hill. Yes, I'll thank God for Calvary's hill. Have you ever thought that the place where Jesus died and the means by Jesus died, 
The Bible says that the Father and Jesus created this world, John chapter 1 and Genesis 1. That the Father and Jesus created them. That the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father created the tree by the seeds that bore the seeds that bore the seeds. The very, listen, the very tree, the very wood that he died on and created. The very iron that they made the nails and the iron in the hammer that they pounded into his hands and into his feet. They made that ore, the Father and the Son. And the tip of the spear of the metal and the steel of the soldier's spear that went to his side, the Father and the Son made that. And the crown of thorns, though there were no thorns before the fall, the plants that were seeded, the Father and the Son made that. And the people whose spittle came down upon his beard and then ripped his beard out and then slapped him and with their tongues mocked him and then scourged him with leather of the hides of the animals. And then on that were seashells and other pieces of metal and every everything, everything that took the life of our blessed Lord's life, the Father and the Son created that. And He did it for you. He did it for me. The Father's not a bully. He did this for you. He loves you. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you even from before the world was created. Romans chapter 16 and verse 25. Paul's closing his book there and he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you, that means to settle you, to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. Now this doesn't mean something that's hard to be understood here. It means something that wasn't revealed yet. And it's the gospel. They didn't have the gospel in the Old Testament. But now it's revealed. It was kept, look at this, it was kept secret since the world began. But now it's made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all the nations for the obedience of faith. Now watch this, out of all of that, and there's a lot of stuff in that passage about how big God is. To God, only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. You can't contain that. It's like getting in the deep end of the pool. You can't touch the bottom. You can just swim in it. You can enjoy it a little bit. But you can't. It's, it's like taking a thimble to the Atlantic Ocean and coming back and saying, I got the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, you got a little thimble of it. That's all you could contain. That's how big God is. To just It's bigger than that, but just to give you an idea of the measurement. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, the writer says, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His purpose and grace, which was given in Jesus Christ before, look, look, before the world began. He loved you. He loved you. And in his mind was going to be your savior before the world began. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now like this one. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. Speaks of the tribulation period, but there's a truth here. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. This is the Antichrist. 
whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Slain from the foundation of the world. Now, physically he hadn't died for us, but in the mind of God, the plan of salvation was accomplished. Now, the payment for your sin, the the propitiation effect, the covering of your sin was planned by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is bigger than your mind can conceive. And every year in the Old Testament, the priests would examine these sacrifices. And once a year, the high priest would take one of those sacrifices for the entire nation. But he would have to do this every year because... One sacrifice was not sufficient. But all, all of these sacrifices pointed to the final sacrifice, which was Jesus. Now listen, when he hung on the cross, he absorbed, watch this, one time, one time, once and for all, every sin that every person has ever committed, past, present, and future. All of your future sins, all of your, you see, we understand all of our past sins, But he's taken all of your future sins. And he hung there in the darkness when he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, in verse 12 through 14, neither by the blood of goats and calves, these animals, but by his own blood, his own sacrifice, He entered in, and notice this, once, one time, into the holy place. Now, this is a holy place in heaven. Having obtained eternal redemption, it's taken care of. Your your salvation is as secure as the life of Jesus Christ. Eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, which they would take these ashes and mix them up with water, and then sprinkle people when they're out in the wilderness if they touch the body, and that would cleanse them. Sprinkle the unclean, sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. Now look at this. How much more? If an animal will do that, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, this is Hebrews 9.14, is one of the few verses in the Bible that has the entire trinity. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Christ, the Spirit, and God. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered... What's interesting there is a root... That's the root word to the word offering. It was used of a priest carrying... he's, He's bringing the offering. I'm going to offer the sacrifice. Jesus didn't have a sacrifice. He offered His body. He offered His soul on the cross. And the Bible says he offered himself without spot to God. And here, here's the result of it. Now watch this. Purge your conscience. The baptistry can't purge your conscience. Church membership can't purge your conscience. Turning over a new leaf and promising you're going to do better. That doesn't purge your conscience. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. The offering of Jesus when he said, Father, you've forsaken me. Purge your conscience from dead works. And now I can serve the living God. Because I know I'm unworthy. I know I'm not any good. But He's good. And He has forgiven me. And He has cleansed me. And He has transformed me. And He has changed me. And He is changing me. And I love Hebrews 9.14. It is a doctrinal, doctrinal truth with practical implications. Let me give you another scripture idea here and when they were God was bringing the plagues down on Egypt to get Pharaoh to let the people go the ninth one was darkness it was darkness that could be felt and uh, and Pharaoh almost let him go but he didn't and the tenth plague that finally worked if you'll remember was the death of the firstborn 
And finally, he let them go. But here's what I want you to see. The ninth and the tenth, you have darkness and death. And guess what's at the cross? Darkness and death. And the most severe judgments that God had were there at the cross. And God said, if you want to save your firstborn, he told Moses, he said, I want you to take some hyssop, H-Y-S-S-O-P, which is a little tiny plant about the size of both of my hands with scrawny little branches. And you go get, a, get an animal, a sacrifice an animal, and put, put his blood in a little bowl and take that hyssop plant and put it up there and go outside on the front of your door and put the blood on the lintel, on, on the outside frame of your door over the top and on each side. And when you do that, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, here's what he said, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And here's what God said, When I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The old Hebrew Bible scholars, they believe even to this day that the death angel had a... They believe in the death angel and that the death, the death angel has a name. That old death angel began to peruse through the Egyptian desert that night and go through those households. And the Bible said, I read in Exodus a couple of weeks ago, there were great cries that went through the night. You could hear it all around of the shrieking of the people that ignored and Pharaoh. In fact, uh, some of the people wanted to, but, but he refused to let his people participate. And in my mind's eye, I can see when the conversations they had leading up to that, when they said, well, here, here's what they told us to do. They, they said to take the hyssop and, and go out and put it on the door and follow the instructions. They'd never done anything like this. Moses told us to do this. And the night finally came. I can imagine a 12 or 14 year old boy or girl, the oldest in the family. And it's dusk and the sun is going down. His heart begins to race. He's nervous. Finally, he goes back to the bedroom because they went to bed earlier. He goes back to the bedroom. He says, Dad, did you put the blood on the, did you put the, blood on the door? Is the blood on the door? Did you do it right? Is the blood on the door? Because God warned, when I see the blood, the death angel will pass over. Did you put the blood on the door? Well, he has commanded us that we don't need, there's no magic in the formula. The magic is in, in the sacrifice. And you don't go to heaven because there's blood on your doors, but it's on the lintel of your heart. Is the blood on your heart. On February the 18th, 1968, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. He changed not just my destiny, He changed my heart. I am a new person because of what Christ accomplished in my life. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, the writer says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not, don't sin. But if you do sin, he's talking to Christians, if any man sin, we have an advocate. We have a lawyer with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. You see, I don't just have a lawyer in heaven. I have the one who paid my fine. And he's my savior. And I ask you this morning, within the mystery of Calvary, God has done not just a, a work of love, but he has done a, a work of justice where God cannot punish me because my sins have been propitiated because the blood is on the door and I don't glory in that I glory in him I'm saved I'm certain of it 
I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed. And my home is heaven. I looked at my precious sister on Thursday. It was so difficult to leave. And, 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 and I'll be going back. But she said, she said, I am not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. And I'm not afraid to die either. Because I, I know where I'm going. But I tell you, if you get away sometimes in your heart, just ponder some of these things. Ponder Him. Ponder His work. And He will refresh and renew your spirit. And maybe you're here today, you've never been to the cross. You've never received the gift of salvation. There's, there's no blood. When I say blood, I don't mean literal but in a metaphorical sense, God has never cleansed your heart. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You never come to Him and say, God, I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. I need a Redeemer. I need a propitiator. I need someone to pay my debt. He's already paid it. You just need to come by faith and claim it. On uh, Monday, I spoke at the funeral for my friend Raymond. Raymond was a very special man. He died unexpectedly two weeks ago today in the morning, about 1130. And uh, Paul and I loved he and his family very much. He had three children. They were all in our youth ministry. And he and his wife helped us in the youth ministry. Just, I cannot tell you how close we were. They're just dear, dear, dear friends. He got his family together just uh, not long before he passed away. And he realized, I'm, if you'll get that ready, we're going to show that in just a minute. And he told them, I've, I've never given my testimony in public, to my family. My family doesn't know how I've gotten saved. And he, he gave his testimony. This is just a few minutes long. It's not long. And at the conclusion of the funeral, they played this. I, I want you to hear this. Because here's a man that preaches on funeral because he was saved. He knew he was saved. And he gave his testimony. While his body was cold in front of us, but his spirit was alive in heaven. And he gave his, he gave his testimony. If you can pr- play that for us, my brother, if you have that right now, I would appreciate that. What can we do to proclaim the message of Jesus? First, find the time to share your story with others. If you were passed into heaven today, would your children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, know the story? Value and Jesus. You ever sit down and talk this story? I grew up in Franconia and I went to church the first grade through the twelfth grade every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, two weeks of vacation Bible school. When I was about 10 or 11, I went forward and I was baptized. I'm thinking we've what, lost what three of our loved ones is. I know I know another ten years I might not. But I've never shared something with especially my grandchildren how I came to Christ. So I was baptized by eleven or twelve, eleven twelve secretary. And it wasn't until 1974 we started going to Calvary Road Baptist Church. And it was something different then. I had been out of church for many years. Well, I'd go off and on. But I became very involved. I even 
started to teach my Sunday school class and so on. And, and that fall, I went to a rich street down in South Carolina. And there was a 90-some-year-old retired missionary to, to uh, China there that she was called Penal Prayer Center. And we were there about three days, and we had the lessons and whatever. And they had a little garden there where you could go and just be very quiet. And while we were there, I was, the Lord led me to a birth chair about 29, 13. It says, you shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. And that afternoon, I asked Jesus to say, if you, back when I was 12, I really didn't understand. I understood with my mind, but I didn't open my heart. Of course, the Bible tells us that there's basically three things you have to do before you That's believe, repent, and receive. You have to believe that you're a sinner, number one. You have to believe that there's a payment for sin. You have to believe that you can't pay the payment. You have to believe that Jesus was born on Christmas, lived 30 some years, and died on the cross with his blood. He made the payment. So, what you have to do is then believe all that and believe if you ask him to save you, he will. And the repentance, all that means, it's kind of in with the belief and the, and the receiving part. It's you're walking this way in your life. You're making all your own decisions, doing all that you want to do, whatever it is. And Jesus turns you around. And now you want to do, and you want to walk the way he wants you to. That's what repentance is. And the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them, them gave he the power to become sons and daughters of Christ. There may be some of my grandchildren or whatever. Maybe they made up the head decision one day. Maybe it's somebody else that I don't know. But I just want y'all to know. Time comes to go home. You can look at my body. I want you to pray with me, would you? Let's bow our heads in prayer. I wonder if there's somebody here that would say, Preacher, I'm not 100% sure that if I were to die that I'd go to heaven. But I sure am interested in it. I need to be saved. If you'd like to be saved, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the cry of your heart. And just pray something like this, Dear God, I am a sinner. And I've done wrong. But I do believe in Jesus. And I believe he died for me. And I need to be saved today. I ask that you save me right now where I'm sitting. And come into my life and save me and change me. Take me to heaven when I die. And change the way I'm living. I trust you with all of my heart and all that I am. I believe in you as my Savior. The Bible says in Romans ten thirteen, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I want to ask you a question. Nobody's looking. I say, preacher, I prayed that prayer and I meant it with all of my heart. I meant that prayer. If you did that, would you slip your hand up and down? I won't embarrass you, but you prayed that. 
I meant that with all of my heart. Anybody else? Thank you. I meant that prayer with all of my heart. Anybody else? I meant it. Thank you. You can come see me. If you have some questions, I'll be glad to help you. We have some tracks out back. They're on the little table back there. We have them sectioned in groups of five. If they're gone, you can grab some more. And let's, let's get those out and tell people about Christ and how they can go to heaven. Father, I pray that as we leave today, that you would help us to tell people about the propitiation of sin. We won't use that word. It's a big word and people don't understand it. But they understand forgiveness and payment in simple terms like that. I pray you give us a burden for people. Help us to, to revel and to ponder the beauty and the mystery and the loveliness of the gospel and draw our hearts to you. And uh, Lord, do a work in our hearts as your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.